This is Truth Encounter, and thank you for joining us today as Dr. David Lowry, one of Dave Wurtzen's colleagues, finishes teaching us from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Our subject this morning is Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be concluding this chapter, and it ends with three different images of uh, our relationship with the Lord. We've talked a little bit about citizens, but that's repeated again, citizens of heaven. We are also members of the household of God, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And we are also a temple of God, a dwelling place of God by means of the Spirit. And so I would like to see if we could, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Uh, we're going to try and build a something of a temple here, so we need some bigger people right down here in the front. You don't necessarily have to get that. No, we're not going to do that, Dan. That's a little bit too challenging for us. Just have, just have a seat here, if you will. Just have a seat here. And what I'd like you to do, those of you who are, um, come on down here, too, if you will, please. Thank you. Why don't you have a seat there, too? That's good. <clears throat> Slide over. This requires a little touching. Uh, <clears throat> I would like you just to interlock your arms. See, like this? You go like this and interlock your arms so that you go in. That's it, Daniel. Uh, <clears throat> it's very important for the stability of the structure that you do this. Okay. Um, and now, uh, you, you, you people are behind. If you'll do the same, if you'll just put your hand on the shoulders of these people who are in front, and then you, if you want to come up on top, the two of you come up on top. And you get right there in the back behind those two boys, and if you'll put your hand on their shoulders, can you do that? Thank you for helping with that. Uh, yes, try, let's try to get our building somewhat straight. Okay. Uh, now, this is, this is supposed to represent something of a building. And as you can see, the drama team couldn't help out this morning, so I was left to this. Uh, <clears throat> but what I, what I hope it will represent for us is a reminder that even though we're going to start a construction project out here, there's going to be a great extension of our opportunity to minister and reach the community. The really important part of what God is doing is in the lives of people, in your lives. You are the important dwelling place of God, and you represent the real temple. It's all of us who know the Lord who are God's temple, God's building, and he wants to dwell in us and through us and accomplish his purpose. So you represent very well the interconnectedness of a building is what I'm hoping you'll represent a little bit, and I'm in the way of everybody. But I thank you for your assistance and your help this morning, and you do look like a fine building, and if we had more time, Daniel, we would have tried kneeling and getting on top of each other, but we just didn't have that uh, chance this morning. Thanks very much. You can go back. My wife, as I mentioned, when we married, she helped me get through school and then was a homemaker for some 15 years when our children came along, and then was willing to go back and work again to provide help for our kids to go to school. Now, we both had college loans when we finished, and that's certainly an appropriate way to go uh, to school, but my wife felt she would like to enable our kids to get through school without having a big loan to pay off when they finished, but she did say, four years is all I'm committed to for each one of you. You can take five or six to go through if you want to, but four is all I'm going to help you with. 
And so John, not taking any chances, is finishing in three and a half. He hasn't actually uh, asked us to support him for another, uh, but we probably won't, but he said uh, <clears throat> he, he anticipates uh, graduating with a Bachelor of Arts degree, and we hope he's going to go to the commencement. We want, we'd like to go and see him graduate. He's not much for formal things like that, but uh, we're going to encourage him to attend. And when... The degrees are conferred. I've been in enough of these through the years myself. Uh, The president will stand, and he will say words to this effect. Uh, By the authority invested in me by the Board of Regents, I hereby confer upon you graduates with the, whatever the bachelor's degree is in arts or sciences or whatever, with all the rights and privileges attached thereto. Now, they don't specify what those rights and privileges are. I'm going to specify for John one right and privilege he now has is to find employment. But but nonetheless, uh, there are many rights and privileges associated with uh, a college degree. And uh, that's one of the subjects we want to look at this morning, the rights and privileges that are associated with something which is much better. And that is association with the family of God. Being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and being a temple in which God is at work to build his church. We are looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19, 20, 21, and 22 this morning, concluding this second chapter of Ephesians. And Paul begins in verse 19. Again, I'm reading from the Net Bible by saying, so then you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens. If you have been with us in these past few weeks, you know that that has been one of the themes that Paul has talked about. We people who were Gentiles by birth have now had the great privilege and joy of being incorporated into the people of God. We are, he says here, fellow citizens with the saints. Citizenship is a great privilege, a great privilege probably about 10 days ago, a couple of weeks ago, when we got all that rain, you remember? It was wonderful. Uh, I don't know how many inches of rain we had, but it was a great several days of rain. And I was coming back uh, home down the new parkway that's built, the south part of the parkway, getting ready to turn into the road I live on. And as I was getting ready to make my left-hand turn, I looked down the road a bit, and I saw right in front of that property about three or four police cars encircling four other vehicles that were parked along the side. About a dozen uh, young men, it looked like, sitting on the curb with three or four policemen uh, around them. And at first, my heart sank a little bit because I couldn't tell from the distance I was coming from if it was not maybe a a rounding up of some of the uh, illegal immigrants who uh, work here in Texas. I realize they they may be breaking the law, but I have some sympathy for people who are willing to endure the hardships they endure to provide for families back in Mexico or further south. I read somewhere that uh, there are more dollars, foreign dollars, coming into Mexico through workers outside the country than even their national oil. So there's a lot of people working and sending money back home, and I thought, oh, no, some of these fellows have been rounded up. But as I got a little closer, I saw that the trucks there 
were just covered in mud. And I looked a little closer at the guys sitting on the curb, and they were all American citizens, as far as I could tell. But uh, they had decided to create something of a mud hole out on the Baptist property, and in so doing had also torn up the shoulder of the road, the apron of the road going into the property. And I'm sure the police took a dim view of this, destruction of both public and private property, and so they had a little bit of a roundup for these fellows. However, since they were citizens, I suspect the worst they got was a fine. They may not even have gotten that. They may just have had stern words from the policemen and sent on their way. If they had been non-citizens, they probably would have been deported a thousand miles or so back home. Great rights and privileges of being a citizen of this country. A much greater right and privilege is being a citizen of heaven. We are indeed, as citizens of heaven, to be good citizens of this world in which we live. Uh, Paul, on many different occasions, talks about the importance of being a good citizen. The city council, and I, I thank our city council for the faithful service they render. Uh, we have some members who are part of our fellowship here. It requires sometimes the wisdom of Solomon to serve and to make decisions. And a couple of weeks ago, when they were trying to determine assessing fees, abatement fees for churches, uh, I went to that particular meeting and ticked the little box saying I would be willing to speak. And I, they give you three minutes, so you don't have a long time to uh, preach a message or anything like that. Uh, but what I attempted to say was, we appreciate you city council members acting with regard to the interests of the wider community, and we expect you and hope you will be people of good conscience as you think through these issues. But also, uh, we have some hope that you will represent the interests of the people who have voted for you, and that churchgoers tend to be voters. And will you, therefore, as you make this decision, give due regard for the fact that many of those who are active in voting, and it's actually a fairly small percentage, you know, that last amendment election, 10% of us from Ellis County got out to actually vote in that, of those who were eligible voters. So I said, and when I went, I saw a few of our church members there. I probably wouldn't have gone, except my wife said, you really should go to this, you know, you should vote. So I said, okay, I'll go, and cast my vote. I simply said, will you give also consideration to this as you evaluate this, that we church members do tend to be uh, conscious and active voters to the best of our ability and give thanks that these fees, in fact, were abated. The council decided to do that. However, I trust you folks will not cause me to be a person who speaks about things that don't happen, and I hope you will be participating in the voting process, and you will be uh, responsible citizens. That's what we're called to do. But most importantly, Paul is saying here, we are called to think of ourselves as citizens with all the rights and privileges of those who are associated with the family of God. When Paul uses this word, to be a good citizen, he doesn't always use it in a political context. In fact, in one instance, in Philippians chapter 127, when he says, it's usually translated, conduct yourself in a worthy manner. And there he says the important thing is for us as a people to be committed to one another, to be a people who are united, 
who support one another, who encourage one another, who stand together with one another when we face times of difficulty and obstacles. That's indeed what we are called to do. We are called to be a people who are indeed recognized we belong to God and we represent him. When it says here we are fellow citizens with the saints, that word saint means a person who belongs to God. It's this word holy actually applied to people. We are a holy people in that we belong to God. And by implication, we are to be a people who reflect and honor God. We ended that last course with a, really a, a prayer in that chorus to honor God in what we do. And may that indeed be true of us as members, citizens, fellow citizens with the saints. And then next, the image is of members of God's household. When we first started this church years ago, we used to sing a chorus just about every week, sometimes more than once a week. Uh, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. I'm a part of the family, the family of God. Now, that is a great chorus. And indeed, the washing that is spoken of there is the renewal of the spirit. The cleansing is by the blood of Christ that was shed for us, his death, bringing us into this family. And indeed, we are members of a family in which we are called to love one another. The second part of the chorus, the second part of that verse goes, we call one another, we say brother and sister around here, which in fact we don't, so we probably need to modify that somewhat, but we think in those terms. We may not call one another brother and sister, but we do function as a family, and that's an important image that we have for one another, for our relationship together. However, in that first century household, the imagery Paul has here extends actually beyond just immediate family. Because in that first century world, there were slaves who were a part of the household in many instances as well. We'll see that when we get to chapter 6. That when Paul begins his talk about how should people conduct themselves within the household, he first of all in chapter 5 talks about husbands loving their wives the way Christ loved the church. And that's the really challenging image for husbands to live in that light, for wives to show due regard and respect for their husbands. And then in chapter 6, children, he says, obey your parents. And then he says later on, after children, he addresses, and slaves, obey your masters. And Paul will often describe himself as a slave. In fact, Paul doesn't actually refer to himself as a brother of Christ, although he does say our destiny is to be conformed to his image, who is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, that is, in the wider family. He does go before us. He is our brother. But Paul will often describe himself as a slave of Christ. He introduces his letter to the Romans that way, his letter to the Philippians that way, his letter to Titus that way. I, Paul, a slave of Christ. And by that he means... I am one who finds myself in Christ's household. He is my master, and what I am called to do is obey him and to carry out his will. That's really what a slave was called to do, fulfill the will of the master. And so Paul is very happy to think of himself as indeed a slave serving this great master Christ. And what he wants to do is be an obedient slave 
to fulfill his will. And that is a great model for us as well. This passage that we're looking at doesn't actually specifically tell us what God's will is for us to do. It will, Paul will do this when he gets to chapter 4 and 5 and 6. But the implication is clearly there. It is indeed a great blessing to be a member of the family of God, to have the privilege of coming before God, of calling him our father. And yet the implications of calling God father is that we will be children who honor him and who obey him and who live in light of what his will is for us. And that Paul is going to expand upon. It's a wonderful metaphor. It's great to think of ourselves as indeed family members, members of the family of God. But the implication for us is that we will be a people who indeed honor God and who live in light of his will. And then the third imagery that Paul works with, and this is the one that is primary in this passage, and that is that we are a holy temple. He says in 2.20, not only are we citizens, fellow citizens with the saints, not only are we members of God's household, but we have also been built now, he says, because you have been built on the foundation, verse 20, of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets were people like Paul and others in the early church through whom God was declaring his message. You remember Jesus' words to Peter. Peter, you're the rock, and I'm going to build my church on you, and by implication, others like him. And how did Peter function to build, as it were, the church on the church built on him? He preached the gospel. In Acts chapter 2, he preached the gospel to many Jews who had gathered together in Jerusalem, and the Spirit came upon them. They, were, they became believers in Christ, and they were the first members of the church. In Acts chapter 10, he preached the gospel to Gentiles. And for the first time, there were Gentiles who, they didn't become Jews. They simply became believers in Christ, and the Spirit was poured out upon them. Peter, as it were, opened the door to Jews and Gentiles, and these people came to be a part of this church. And the apostles like Paul and Peter and others who went out preaching the gospel laid this foundation. They became the foundation with those to whom they preached, the prophets who followed after them. But the one who was the guide and the measure for this whole building was Jesus Christ himself. In fact, Paul will talk about him as indeed the foundation in 1 Corinthians 3, 7. No one, no other foundation, he says, can be laid other than Christ Jesus. But the imagery here of the cornerstone, in the ancient world, when builders would erect a building, the first stone that would be laid would be the cornerstone, and then the walls would be laid out so that they got their direction, they got their stability from this cornerstone. That's the imagery Paul's working with here. Christ becomes the guide for us, the stability for us, and the way by which we see ourselves in terms of this church being built up. Are we indeed a people, as this temple is erected, who follow, as it were, the cornerstone? We see his life, we see his calling, and he gives us direction. He guides us. That's the imagery that Paul is working with through this section. Christ is indeed the cornerstone. In him, he says, the whole building, verse 21, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Here again is this word, holy. We are to be a people who belong to God and who reflect him. 
Now, the imagery Paul's working with here is stones, living stones. We are living stones in this process. Christ lays the edge for us. The apostles and prophets become the foundation. Generations are built on top of that. We are still being added to. That's the imagery here. Stones of all colors, a beautiful temple. The imagery here is of a universal temple that is being built, composed of believers all over the world. Those who are ministering in the Philippines, people coming to faith, they're being added. Those who are ministering in Brazil, people coming to faith, they're being added to the church. The Solomon Islands, Portugal, wherever we might imagine, in Eastern Europe, where we are involved in supporting people, Albania, there are these believers who are added to the church. It's a multi-hued, beautifully refracted church because it's a universal building that is being put together by the grace of God, being joined together and knit together. We had a number of families from Waxahachie who were attending church. We were uh, down on Overlook. And this was in, I think, the early 80s. Some of you who were a part of this will remember maybe better than I what the date was. But uh, we had about half a dozen families who said, Could we, would you help us get a church started in Waxahachie? We would, uh, we would like to plant a church there, and we see opportunity for ministry in this community, but we would like a little help. And so the deacons and the elders at the time said, sure, this is a part of something we want to do, and uh, we will do what we can to provide some help for you in beginning this. And uh, I was a part-time staff member at that time. And I thought, yeah, this is a good, a good idea. Uh, Dave can speak here in Midlothian in the morning. We only had one service then. We met early. And then he could drive over to Waxahachie and preach over there. Uh, I was the only one who thought that was a good idea. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> everyone else said, well, let's send you, Lowry. Why don't you go over there and do this? And so <clears throat> we had uh, Mary Jane Balkan was a part of that group, Cheryl Ford, Jim and Marilyn Matthews, and Deb and I. And some folks arranged for the uh, rental of the Woodman of the World Fraternal Lodge as our first meeting place. And an advertisement was put in the Waxahachie Daily Light saying, if you are interested in being a part of a church that focuses on the application of the Bible to daily life, expository preaching and teaching with fellowship being an important component, please come join us at the Woodman of the World fraternal building and we set a date. We had 50 people show up and uh, we met there for that first year then moved to a facility just off of Grand Avenue on Ross there and then finally where the church is located now. The first year this has been something of a nostalgic experience for me because the first year I decided well if I'm going to be doing the preaching and teaching I'll work through Ephesians. That's a good church letter. Uh, so it's been 20 years since I've done that but um, back thinking through the message of Ephesians, and it is a great message for the church. It's a great letter for us to work through together. But that church came together with people from the community and has grown and is a part now of this much wider church that we are all a part of. God is at work building his church. And it's not just in Bible churches, as we talked last week. There are people coming to faith through the Baptist Church in town, the Methodist Church in town, the Assemblies of God Church in town. There are, the gospel is being preached 
and people are coming to faith. They are being incorporated in this holy temple that is being built. And Paul ends this chapter by saying, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Again, the Trinity at work through this passage. Christ is our, the one who has established this, made it possible for us. God is the one who is at work to build us together. The verbs all through here are passive verbs implying God is the one who is doing this. He is the builder. We may labor, we are a part of the process, but as the psalmist says, if God does not build, we labor in vain. And that is certainly true. We recognize that. We as as, uh, members of the staff, we as those who are involved in ministry, we pray regularly for God to be at work in our midst and be the one who is building and strengthening and nurturing his church. This word for building here is also the word that is used for the idea of edifying and strengthening and maturing the people of God. That as we are exposed to the word of God, we are called to be responsive to it. And as we are responsive to it, we are built up not only individually, but as a body, as a community. And we grow and become a people who think God's thoughts and who live in light of God's will, as we depend upon him. He is the enabler in our midst. You'll notice he says here, a dwelling place of God in the spirit. It is by means of the spirit that we are able to live the life that God has called us to live. He is the one who enables us to be responsive to his word. I think it's appropriate for us each day, as we begin our days, to say, Lord, this day belongs to you, And I belong to you, and would you, by your spirit, fulfill your purpose in my life today? I pray this routinely as I go off to work. Lord, may I honor you with what I say and do. May I be an instrument of yours in the life of others. But I recognize it is the spirit who gives the enablement for that process. It's not any training that I may have received. It's not related to any kind of hard work that I do, although all of these are used by God, but fundamentally, it's the Spirit of God at work in us and through us that brings about his purposes. That's the challenge that is before us, to be a people who are indeed the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. It is an amazing thing to think about, that we as a people become a sphere in which God dwells. Now we do talk about, for example, this this building here has a a room that we refer to as the auditorium. Some people refer to it as the sanctuary. The word sanctuary actually means holy place uh, in the Latin. We recognize, however, that we are in fact the realm in which the spirit is at work. We may build a, a grand church, and as Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, They lived in a city which had one of the greatest temples in the ancient world. It was a, and Acts chapter 19 talks about this, the temple to Artemis. It was a huge structure with 60-foot columns, more than 400 feet long. So as you walked into that temple, you were awestruck with its beauty. The temple in Jerusalem was a beautiful temple. It was huge. We We can see the foundation of it 
uh, today in Israel, as you go to Jerusalem, you see the foundation of that temple. And the cornerstone in that temple was a huge cornerstone laying there in the foundation, more than 30 meters in length. I mean, a huge, many thousands of, of pounds associated with that stone. And then all the structure around it. So both the Jews and these Gentiles who lived in Ephesus knew what a beautiful temple looked like. But Paul is really saying the beautiful thing that God is making is not an external building. It is a building composed of his people. We are those on whom God is giving his attention. We are those whom God is fashioning. And Paul says, we become then that which testifies to the workmanship of God, the beauty of God, and ultimately we become the dwelling place of God. There's a, there's a wonderful mystery in that, and I, I don't pretend to understand all the implications of what it means to be a people in whom God dwells and through whom he manifests himself. But I think the primary imagery is that we are to be a people who avail ourselves of the power of the Spirit, and by means of that power, we reflect in day-by-day life the honor and the glory of God in how we relate to one another, in how we relate to the wider community, that we indeed be a people who are light in dark places and through whom the glory of God shines. It's a great calling. It's a great challenge for us to indeed be a people of faith who say to God, we treasure the privilege of being a citizen of your kingdom. With Christ as our king, with Christ as our savior, we look forward one day to being with him. We count it a great privilege to be members of the family of God, of the household of God, a people who can call God father. What a wonderful privilege we have to come before him and to pray before him. And a people who are being knit together and built into a holy place in the Lord. Let us never lose sight of the fact that these buildings are simply tools in the process of ministry and of reaching out and of providing a context in which we as a people of God can be shaped and molded by him and be a people who honor him with the way in which we live our lives. Are you a part of this building? Are you a member of the family of God? Are you a citizen of heaven? The invitation is for each of us to be a part, to be responsive, to say, indeed, I want to be a member of the family of God. I want to be a citizen of heaven. I want to be a stone in this temple that is being built by God. And our ability to do that is simply to say, Lord, I want to receive the work you have done for me. I want my sins to be forgiven as only you can forgive. I want you to transform me as only you can do. And God, by his grace, will do that. He will welcome you as a citizen. He will welcome you as a member of the family. He will fit you in to this temple that's being built. And one day when it's completed, we will celebrate together in the presence of God. And what is now invisible in terms of seeing God's presence, will be visible. We will be a people who enjoy the presence of God directly. And indeed, Revelation chapter 21 shows this shining of the Lamb upon all of us who are members of the temple in heaven, as it were. And we experience his glory in a direct way. May that be your portion and your experience that now you have entered into that relationship and that becomes your destiny.